Welcome to this week's message. We hope you enjoy this teaching from Pastor Chris Dirksen, the Executive Pastor here at Southland Church. For more information about this message and other resources, visit MySouthland.com. We'll keep going on Romans. This is the second last message we'll do on Romans. Next week will be the last one. We're going to do 14, and uh, then next week we'll do chapter 15 and, and 16. Uh, we'll, I'll just lump all in there because 16 is mostly just a goodbye to a bunch of people. Um, but today we're going to do chapter 14, and I just want to read you the first 12 verses, and then uh, we'll get into this. Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, Paul says, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand." One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, as I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. We're going to talk today about loving in, within our, our body here, within our church, loving people who are different than us. Loving the weaker brother, loving the one who disagrees with us. What does it mean to really be a family here itself and in, and in the church? Let's pray and we'll get into it. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the amazing things. Lord, we are not deserving of it. We just feel so blessed to get to be a part of this move you're doing and in church renewal. We feel so blessed to be able to share whatever good things you've given us. We want to be able to share them with other churches. We want to see every church succeed. We really do. And, uh, and so I thank you, Lord Jesus, for what you've done in our lives. And I thank you for the, the opportunities we get to experience things like last week, international, to meet so many pastors and to be a blessing to so many churches. We thank you for that. And we pray today, Lord Jesus, we're talking about love. What does it really mean to love people who disagree with us? What does it mean to really love the person who's weaker than us, who has a different opinion than us? Lord, I pray that you would bring us to a whole new level of love here in this church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, we go back to those first three verses there. As for the one who is weak in the faith, right? As for the one who is weak in the faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. So a little bit of background here. Uh, in the early church, as we talked about before, 
Uh, obviously, the Jewish people throughout the Old Testament, they had been the people of God. And in the Old Testament, there's all kinds of laws about what you were allowed to eat and not allowed to eat. And so they were not allowed to eat bacon or shrimp. And so they never really experienced true life. But they had some good times nonetheless, I'm sure. But they weren't allowed to th eat things like bacon and shrimp and camels. That one I'm okay with. But uh, there was all kinds of laws. You don't eat this, you don't eat that. You don't cook a goat in her mother's milk and all sorts of things like that. Now, Jesus comes along and he dies on the cross. We've got the new covenant. And of course, lots of things carry over. The moral law and the character of God, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not lie. All those things carry over. But now there is... Uh, confusion in the church as to what about these eating laws? And as Gentiles start to get, to get saved, there's more confusion because which of these customs apply to us, which of them don't? And of course, you had a group of people and who had good motives, and, but they were passionate about God. They were passionate about, about holiness. They were passionate about the law of God. And so they were like, I mean, they'd grown up all their lives. Part of being spiritual, part of being dedicated to God means we obey these food laws. And so in their passion for God, they're like, we have to keep obeying these. To not obey them, I mean, I mean, imagine you were raised in that culture. You don't know anything different. To us now, it's obvious. Obviously, we can eat shrimp. Obviously, we can eat bacon. Like, who wouldn't want to eat that, right? But, but to them, it wasn't obvious. And they were passionate about holiness. And so they're saying, absolutely not. If you're going to be godly, you've got to follow all the laws. And, and they thought they were very suspicious of the, these Gentiles who were saying, no, 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 no. You know, God has... Has uh, Jesus freed us from this sort of thing? And, uh, and so, and they thought those people were worldly, okay? And so you had people within the church who are saying, you have to follow these laws and you're worldly if you don't. And then you've got other people and they're coming along and they're saying, uh, absolutely not. This, we're free from this. We've got the Holy Spirit. It's the new covenant. And so you got these two sides and they're butting heads all over the place in the early church. And the, the ones who thought we had to follow all the laws, they're, they're judging the ones who don't. They're saying, you guys are worldly. The ones who felt, you know, we got liberty in this, they disdain the ones over here who are following the laws. They think, you just haven't experienced enough of the Holy Spirit yet. You don't know about the new covenant. You don't know enough about Jesus. So the one side disdains the other, and the other side judges the other. And Paul comes in, and he says, actually, I want you to welcome each other. Now, it's interesting to me that how does Paul solve this argument? Oh, by the way, I should say one other thing. Uh, if you want to just underline eats only vegetables, some of the people in the Roman church, we're not sure all the background here, had gone even further than the Old Testament. And they had gone uh, militant uh, vegetarian. And so, uh, uh, but whatever the case there, that's even more than the laws in the Old Testament in case you're confused about that. So we're not quite sure exactly why they had gone quite to that extreme. Maybe some of them were taking it from, from Daniel. Daniel did that. Um, but anyway, uh, Paul comes along and you would think if, if there was a dispute in our church, I know what I would be tempted to do. And you have two groups of people and one group is judging the other, one group's disdaining the other, and they've got an argument. The way you solve the argument is you tell them who's right, right? Isn't that how you solve the argument? So you come in and you say, you guys are right, you guys are wrong, get in line, right? And then no more argument because you've solved who was the winner of the argument. And I want you to notice in this passage that Paul does not solve the, the division in the church by solving the argument. Do you notice that? He doesn't say, you guys are right, you guys are wrong, get in line. He leaves that matter up in the air, okay? Now, throughout the passage, you get an idea of what he believes, but he leaves that passage, he leaves that question of right and wrong up in the air, and what he says is, welcome each other, okay? Because, there, it, it's, because what he's saying here is unity is a bigger thing than just having agreement 
about everything. Unity is about a heart. It's not just the mind. Unity in a church is more than all of us just thinking exactly the same. It's us loving each other even when there's differences, even when there's disagreements. And I think that's really profound. It's, to me, it's really profound because I really think most of us, and I know for sure me, if there's a dispute between two people, the way you solve it is solve the argument. But it's just, it, it's so interesting to me that Paul in the inspiration of the Holy Spirit doesn't go there. He just says, welcome each other. See, now this is true tolerance. True tolerance is not, we have to think exactly the same. True tolerance is, I can reach across the aisle here, I can shake your hand, I can have you over for dinner, I can love you and smile at you and serve with you, even though we think differently on some matters. That's true tolerance. Our culture would disagree with that. Now, I do have to put this message on pause just for a moment because this, this idea can be taken too far. And there are some churches that take this too far. And they'll go to this whole other extreme, which is, see, differences don't matter. In fact, I talked to a person from a different church just recently who basically said, doctrine doesn't matter. We just need to love each other. Well, that's actually too far to the extreme. You could take this passage too far and say, we should never disagree. We should never debate. We should never stand for anything. We should just live in harmony without that. And that's actually not true. If I, I want to go to 1 Corinthians 5 for just a moment, because if I don't balance this, we're not going to get it right. So I don't want to walk that line. I want to get it right. So on the one hand, Paul in Romans 14 says, you can love each other in spite of your differences. I just want to go to 1 Corinthians 5 and show you a boundary here. 1 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1, Paul says this. It is actually to another church. This is the Corinthian church. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans. For a man has his father's wife and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. So here we have two very different passages. In one passage, Paul stays away from the issue and just says, love each other. Love each other in spite of the fact that you disagree. Then we go to 1 Corinthians 5, and he says, ha ha, get rid of the guy. Okay? So, so which one is it, right? We got to welcome those who disagree with you, but don't have unity with everything, what's the difference? And the, dif the difference is the issues are different. Okay? The difference is that the issues are different. There are issues that really matter to God. Where it's black or white, it's not pick your idea. There are issues where God says there's one way and there's only one way that can be called right and everything else is wrong. And then there's other issues, and we'll talk about this more as the message goes on. There's other issues where, where there's liberty. There's liberty, there's preference, people can believe different things, and you can still be brothers. There's essential issues, and there are liberty issues. There are essential core issues in the Christian faith that God says these are non-negotiable, and then there are liberty issues that are not uh, non-negotiable. They're up for some debate and some preference. So the issue in 1 Corinthians 5 is sexual immorality. So clearly, sexual immorality is not a, sexual immorality is not an issue of like, well, whatever you want to think, you guys think this, you guys think that. Hey, we're all brothers. Paul says someone living in sexual immorality, immorality like this and calling himself a brother, actually you can't have unity with a person like that. And just in case you think I'm taking it a little bit far, if we read the rest of the passage, verse 6, Paul gets very strong. He says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? In other words, there are certain issues in the church if we tolerate them and pretend to have unity around them. He says, actually, it'll be like a disease. It'll infect other people. It'll, it'll spread through the church. 
Okay? And so he says in verse 7, Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ our Passover lamb, lamb has been sacrificed. And it's not just sexual immorality, just in case you think the Bible or me is just picking on that one. If we jump ahead to verse 11 in 1 Corinthians 5, he says this, But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swim, swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among, among you. Now, you know, I put that verse up there and I read it and some of you are going, oh, and your heart is just beating. We can't have fellowship with anybody who's ever fallen into sexual immorality and every guy just gets up and walks out of the, out of the auditorium, right? Um, because it's like, what, we can't have unity with people who fall. We can't have unity with people who fail. That's not what Paul's talking about here, okay? What was happening in 1 Corinthians 5 was this is not a man who is struggling with weakness, he wasn't falling into sin. He wasn't falling into temptation. He wasn't struggling with lust. He was brazenly living in sin and saying, I can do whatever I want. This is not a sin. It's covered by the grace of God, and I'm still a part of this church. And there's a huge difference between living brazenly in sin and saying, you know what? God says this is a sin in the Bible, but actually I don't think it's a sin anymore, and I'm still a Christian, whatever it is. There's a big difference between calling a sin not a sin and struggling with sin. There's a huge difference. And someone, many of you, and all of us at various times in our lives, we struggle with bondage. And so every single one of us, times in our lives, so there's things that we struggle with, but we know there, we, do, it, we don't deal with that by just saying, hey, it's not a sin and I'm just going to revel in it. It's, we feel guilty about it. We confess it. We, we struggle with it in our weakness. There's a huge difference between weakness and brazenly living in a sin and saying it's not a sin. And that is an issue in the church today. We can have all the unity in the world with someone who's weak. You can fall a million times in the church and we want to pick you up and hug you and say, you're human just like us. Let's keep pushing forward. There's a huge difference between that. We can have absolute unity and weakness. There's a huge difference between that and when a segment of the church or people in the church say, we're just going to change the definition of sin and say that what God says is sin is actually okay. And on that issue, we cannot have unity. In fact, to tolerate that, and I could show you much more than 1 Corinthians 5, I could show you many New Testament scriptures, to tolerate that kind of brazenness in, in the church will spread the disease in the church. And if you read the first three chapters of Revelation, the letters to the churches, you'll, you'll see it pop up there. So there's a huge difference between brazenness and someone who struggles with a sin. We can all have tremendous unity in our struggles. I also want to mention, what about non-Christians who brazenly live in sin? Because some people might take this too far and they might think, okay, well, I'm just not going to associate with, with anybody who lives brazenly in sin. Well, the fact of the matter is, as soon as you leave these walls, you go out there, people who don't follow Jesus are obviously not going to try to follow his laws, are they? And so we would be very quickly find ourselves uh, living unto ourselves and not, and not doing anything with people outside the church if we had to stay away from all people who brazenly live in sin. And Paul actually addresses that in this passage too. He says there's a difference between a person who calls himself a Christian in the church and brazenly lives in sin and someone in the world. If we just go back a couple of verses to verse 9, he says this, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters. Since then, you would need to go out of the world. We would need to get on spaceships and go to the moon or Mars or whatever. But now I am writing you, to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality. And again, not weakness. Not talking about weakness there. Otherwise, we would have no fellowship in the church. We're all weak. We all mess up many, many times. 
He's talking about brazen sin here. If he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. Okay? So obviously, when we talk about people who don't call themselves Christians, we need to reach out to them. We need to show them love. We need to be respectful in all things. That doesn't mean we, we ignore that what they're doing is wrong or that we pretend that it isn't wrong, but we need to reach out to them with love and respect and all this sort of stuff. That's very, very important. Okay? But we go back to liberty issues and essential issues. Now, I don't have time to, to list, you know, uh, exhaustively everything that would be in both those categories. And I, I wish, because one of the problems is, is in the Christian church is we need, to, we need to mature in our discernment. We need to have wisdom. We need to grow in wisdom. Because there's some Christians, they take things that should be in the essential list and they put them in the liberty list. And when you do that, you run into trouble with God. And then there's a whole bunch of other Christians and we take stuff that should be in the liberties list and we put it in the essential list and we fight about things that we shouldn't fight about. And we, and we make mountains out of molehills, and we, we make stands on hills that we shouldn't be making stands on. And so we need to have wisdom. We need to grow in maturity as a church and as believers. We need to actually grow in wisdom and discernment. What is in the essential list and what is in the liberties list? So I'm just going to give you some examples, okay? Let me show you some of the ones that would be in the essentials. We just saw in 1 Corinthians 5, a whole bunch, sexual morality as defined in God's word is an essential issue. Okay? God's law, that, that, that all of God's law, murder, integrity, love for neighbor, all that sort of stuff, that's all in the essential issues uh, uh, list. Okay? Essentials of the faith, obviously, Jesus' death on the cross, his resurrection. These are non-negotiables apart from which all of Christianity falls apart and there is no salvation. Obviously, salvation and justification through Jesus Christ alone and no one else. These are essentials. This is not the exhaustive list, but you get the idea of the sorts of things that are on the essentials list. Again, I, I'm passionate that we as a church grow in wisdom, that, that on both sides of this list that we know which things, what sorts of things go where, so that we're not fighting about pointless things, but we're also not just giving in and capitulating on important issues, all right? Really, really important. Now, if we go back to Romans chapter 14, it's interesting to me that when Paul, when I read those 12 verses to you, and he's telling them, he's not settling their argument, he's telling them to welcome each other. When he lists a few different things, he doesn't list a single thing from the essential issues list. And that's really important because, again, some pastors will take Romans 14 and they'll say, hey, it doesn't really matter what we believe. It does matter what we believe. But there are certain issues that are not essential, and those are the issues Paul's talking about in Romans 14. And so obviously one of them is the food we eat is not part of essentials. We are not to fight over the food we eat. Okay? Second one he talks about a few verses later, verse 5, I believe it is. He's, he talks about holidays and festivals. He says, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, I really like that last sentence there, each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. What it means is, it, it's okay to have opinions. And when I say there's essential issues and liberty issues, I don't mean that everything in the liberty issues list is not important. There will be things in the liberty issues list that might be important to you as a person that you really believe and as, as a family and that are important for the way you live. It's not that they're not important. It's not that you can't make up your mind about something. It's just that we don't get mad at other believers and lose unity over them. That's what it means, okay? Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. Now, there's immediate application on this one. Uh, I know nowadays, uh, one of the things, every time there's a holiday, whether it be Easter or Christmas nowadays, on Facebook, you know, you'll have the, the annual hysteria. 
and things will go around on Facebook, and then they'll come, eventually come back to me, and it's like, some people will be freaking out. We shouldn't, uh, we shouldn't celebrate Easter, because technically it's a pagan holiday, and we're just dressed up in Christian robes, okay? And so people freak out about that. Can I just tell you something? It's okay to have an opinion about that. Just so you know, we're always going to celebrate Easter here, okay? Because we love that Jesus raised from the dead. And maybe you think it's, and maybe it was a pagan holiday at some point in the past, and I study all the history, and that's fine. And maybe the word Easter isn't a Christian word itself. But you know what? Whichever way you go, make up your mind, be fully convinced in your own mind, that's fine. But that is a liberty issue. Romans 14, that's a liberty issue. It's not a hysteria issue. So you make up your mind, and Christmas too, and maybe you don't want to have a Christmas tree or give presents, that's fine. You do it with your family in a way that honors God, and you raise them up that way, totally fine, but it's not a hysteria issue, it's a liberty issue. Does that make sense? And actually, I'll just throw another one on there, and I've talked about it before, but Halloween is the same thing. And I know there's people that are very passionate about Halloween in their hatred of it. They say it's a very bad holiday, and that's totally fine. I mean, you're right, it's not a great one. I'm not pumped about it. I don't like candy, okay? Um... But again, there's all this hysteria and people are super mad. How dare you? And they might have good reasons. You know what? You raise your kids that way. You have very good reasons why you hate Halloween. Absolutely go for it. And don't do Halloween with your kids and raise them that way. But I know other families who dress their their little kids up as princesses and skunks and rabbits and all these hockey players. And they send them out and they have good reasons too. And you know what? At the end of the day, that is a liberty issue. It is absolutely a liberty issue. I'm not saying it's not important, and it might be important to you, but we reach across the aisle, we can have each other into our homes, and we can love each other. You know, in a church this big, we are going to have the odd difference of opinion. Did you know that? <laughs> We're going to have the odd difference of opinion. And this is, you know, I remember a friend, friend of mine from here in the church uh, once, several years ago, we were talking about so many differences in Christianity, and we, were, we weren't talking specifically about holidays, we were talking about uh, you know, doctrinal issues like, you know, Calvinism, Arminianism, different things. And he said one of the reasons he really believes God has allowed this is because, first of all, it forces us to go deeper into what we believe. So having differences forces us to think through, why do I believe what I believe? I thought that was a really good point. But I think, think a second reason, when I read Romans 14, I think a second reason why God allows differences on these liberty issues is because he wants to teach us what it really means to love. It's really easy to get along with someone who thinks exactly the same way you do. It's like a bunch of little robots running around, and we all think exactly the same thing, and we cheer for exactly the same teams, and we, do, we just act exactly the same way. It's really easy to get along with people like that. But where you really learn to love is when you love someone who has some differences, even in areas that you think are important. And when you reach across them and you love them, that is a really uh, powerful Thing. And if we're ever going to get mature, we're going to have to grow in this. If we're ever going to get really mature, we're going to have to grow at discerning here. There are certain things on those essential issues, we can stand up there. By the way, when I say stand up on essential issues, we still don't treat people badly. We still don't treat people badly. But there certainly is a place. On those essential issues, there is a place for division in the church. When someone says that something God has said is wrong is right, there's a place for division. And I hear there are denominations out there around the world that are splitting right now over certain things in God's word. And actually, when they split, they should split because you can't always have unity on those issues. I don't mean we should be calling each other names or be mad at each other, treating people badly. Not at all. We should treat all people with love and honor and respect and dignity, absolutely. But we don't have unity with people who differ on essential issues and challenge God's word. But on liberty issues, we can have 
unity in spite of our differences. And Paul go, even go, takes it a step further, and he's going to show us what it looks like to love someone who has differences from us. It means assuming the best about their motives. And if you go to the very next verse here, Romans 14, verse 6, Paul says this, The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. And I want you to notice Paul's charity of spirit here. He still hasn't waded in. This is a liberty issue. He still hasn't waded in to say, you're right, you're wrong. Okay? But he goes in both sides and he says, the ones who are not eating, he says, I actually know their motives. They're doing it because they actually want to honor God. And the ones who are eating on those days, and remember the two sides, these guys are judging, these guys saying they're worldly, and these guys are disdaining these guys and saying, you don't even have the Holy Spirit. You don't know what you're doing. Paul says, actually, these guys, when they abstain, they're doing it because they want to honor God. And these guys, when they eat, are doing it because they want to honor God. Notice the charity of spirit. He assumes the best about their motives. This is one of the reasons why pe people get all hysterical on liberty issues is because they assume the people on the other side of them are doing it because they're bad. They assume the worst about each other's motives when there's a disagreement. And that's, Paul shows us the way here. He says, actually, when I think about it, and I, and I, and I know you both sides, I know people on both sides, I know you're both doing it because you want to do good. Because you both want to do right. You know, uh, this doesn't really have much to do with this passage, but I had to throw it into a message anyway. So uh, this last Monday, we were, on a, we were on a walk with the kids. That's, a, that's our day off. And, and uh, little Eden, she's my five-year-old, and she was, she was biking because she's too slow when she walks. So she has this little pink uh, bubblegum rocket bike. And, and so she always is driving up ahead, and then she has to stop at times because we don't want her to get out of sight. So she, we're on Main Street coming home from the library, and uh, she stops up ahead. Now, in between us and her, there were some, some other people walking on the sidewalk, some adults. And so as they're walking along, we've trained our kids to, to, or tried to train them. Maybe we've tried to teach them or told them, please get out of the way when people are coming on the sidewalk. And so uh, little Eden, she's tiny, uh, and, and so she senses adults coming behind her. And, and so quickly she tries to get out of their way, okay? And she does it in the most awkward way uh, possible. So she's trying to shuffle her little bubblegum bike to the left, and as she does so, she's actually moving it in front of this guy who's trying to get around her. And so he's moving more and more to his left. Finally, at the end, he almost has to jump out of his way. He just about face plants into the windows there at the Dodge dealership uh, to get around her. Now, as this is happening, of course, those of you who are parents and have seen your kids do things like this, there's something that rises up inside of you. And it, it's probably instigated a little bit by embarrassment, but there's embarrassment, there's anger. It's like you just want to yell ahead, get out of the way! Right? Like, what are you doing? You just see this slow motion train wreck uh, developing, and, and everybody knows they're your kids, right? So it's like, get out of the way, right? And you want to scold her. But the moment, you know, I, I, so I see this happening, but over the last couple of years, I've really been working on it. God's helping me. I don't get it right all the time, but I'm, I'm trying to see the best in people's motives. I'm trying to see even our kids that often when they, do, when they do it totally wrong, they're actually trying to do right. And so this voice just rises up inside of me, and, I, and, I, and, and before I can, you know, in my annoyance, just yell, get out of the way, and then scold her, I, I realize she is trying to get out of the way, okay? She's doing it, it she's, she's making a mess of it, she's making things worse, uh, really, is what she's doing, but, but in her mind, she's trying to do what she's been taught, I need to get out of the way, I need to move to the side. So think about how that would wound her heart if I now come to her, and she's actually tried to be a good girl. In her mind, she has tried her best to be a good girl, and now mommy and daddy come, and they come down hard on her. How often do we do this, by the way, as parents? That's a convicting thought. How often, when they're actually trying their best, do we come down on them hard with a scolding? It wounds the heart. 
But it's the same when we do it to each other outside of our families and we just assume the worst about people and people who are actually trying to be good, we just assume they are just ungodly, obstinate, rebellious, and we hysteria, boom, and we're, we're hammering them. Uh, I've learned this the hard way too often, and I wonder, you know, how many times have all of us at times blasted people that if we just knew what their heart was, we would, we would have been ashamed to blast them. I remember a number of years ago, before we were in this, before we had this edition, uh, there was a guy in the church, and, and I was preaching a message one day. I mentioned something about tithing, and I got an email afterwards. He, he was debating something with me, and so I sent him a list of my reasons. He sent some things back. In the end, we ended up blasting each other a little bit. And uh, over time, then I didn't hear from him for a while, and then over time, we had other disagreements, and, then, and it was quite a bit of blasting, and, and, uh, and I just started to think, like, like this, this person is just, he's just obstinate, he, he doesn't want to listen, and I don't even know why he comes here. And I remember having this conversation with some staff people, and thank God for Pastor Tim Ryan, uh, who has a good head on his shoulder and really cares, and he says to me, like, have you ever thought about just sitting down with him? I think you should sit down with him and talk with him. And I thought, well, that's, a, I guess, a novel idea, somewhat biblical, and... Uh, <laughs> So, uh, so we had a meeting, and we sat down, and all I want to do is hear this person's past, this guy's past, and, and then he shared his past, and it was, un, you know, within five minutes of him starting talking, I had a whole new perspective, whole new perspective, as he shares about how, you know, growing up in an extremely legalistic home, and all the stuff that went with that, and then going through a bunch of churches, just some horrific church experiences of churches manipulating people for money and, abuse, and spiritual abuse and various things. And all of a sudden, as he begins to share his story, I just began to feel like, oh, he's not, he's not disagreeing with me because he's obstinate and doesn't care, and why do you even bother coming here and he just wants to be a pain? He's, that's not why he's disagreeing with me. He's disagreeing with me out of, out of hurt. He he's actually cares about the church and doesn't want to see our church do what he's been and, and seen some churches do. And so something, uh, you know, something changed. You know, we never totally saw eye to eye on, on, on everything. And I'm actually glad to say that because it, it does something for your love. And sometime later, I actually got to sit in the hospital with him when he was very sick and just hold his hands. And both of us, tears in our eyes as we just blessed each other. Like just literally loved each other and blessed each other. I'm going to see him in heaven someday. And, but you get to experience a side of love. When you can love someone who's got some differences with you, you get to experience a whole new kind of love that you can't just experience with someone who's exactly the same as you. And you get to feel a brotherhood with someone, even though you see things a little bit differently, it's actually powerful, and it's actually how we need to live as a family, as a church family here itself and, and, and every church. Really, really important. That's what Paul's getting at. We need to assume the best about each other's motives. And we need to not put things in the essentials column that is supposed to be in the liberty column. So a couple more examples, stuff like uh, tattoos, obviously. You may not like tattoos, but I get people hysterical about that sometimes. It's a liberty issue. Okay, and I have a paper about that if you want to see that. Alcohol is another one, okay? This is another difficult topic for people. I know people who, they grew up in families where alcohol was abused. And so, and, and lots of other people, you would not believe how many people in this church, in this community, have really struggled with abusing alcohol themselves. And so the only thing they can think when they hear alcohol is all they've ever seen is the negative. All they've ever seen is the abuse. They can't even imagine a way that it could not be abused. Okay? And so you can understand 
the hurt and stuff there. But then you have these other people, what happens is they flaunt their liberty because the fact of the matter is you can't find a Bible verse. And this is why it's important that we have discernment about what we put in the essentials column, what you put in the liberties. You can't find a Bible verse here. In spite of the way it's been abused, in spite of some of the negative stuff, there isn't a Bible verse in here that forbids us. God does not forbid. In fact, there's clear verses where God permits in moderation the drinking of alcohol. Now, of course, then the people who have liberty on this issue, here's another problem I see, they just want to flaunt it. It's like they never had a bad experience with it, and they just want to feel like, we can do whatever I want, I got liberty in Christ, and I want to just go out in public and talk about, this is my favorite kind of drink here, and this is my favorite kind of drink there, and, and all this sort of stuff, and they want to flaunt their liberty. And that completely misses what Paul is doing here in Romans 14 as well. Look what he says just a few verses later. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never. I want you to notice that word never there. It actually means never. Never to put a stumbling block or hindrance in the way of a brother. See, in this, and it could be anything, but you take your liberty and you despise the person who doesn't have liberty, and you think, you're just a legalist. And the guy over here who doesn't have liberty, he looks at the other one and says, you're worldly and you're ungodly. And Paul says, absolutely not. To the ones who are what Paul would call in this chapter strong, in the sense that he calls the ones who, who have liberty strong, he says, absolutely, we are never, ever to put a stumbling block. We're never to flaunt our liberty in front of others. We're supposed to think of the weaker brother. Now, here's what the subconscious thing that goes on in our heads is, because people don't even think about this. They just want to flaunt their liberty. And it's like, that's not my problem. That person's alcohol problem is not my problem. Paul makes it your problem in this passage. He actually makes it your problem. You may not have grown up in a family that abused alcohol. You may never have abused alcohol. But the fact that there are other people that have abused it and have experienced badly means to Paul, this is your problem. The Bible might permit you to drink it in moderation, but the fact that you have a weaker brother here, Paul says, it is your problem. Next verse. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love by what you eat. Do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. In your liberty, do not destroy another one whom Christ has died. And I just think, you know, I imagine standing on Judgment Day before Jesus, and he shows you some of the lives, people who are destroyed by some of your actions, and then you go, but the Bible said I could. And I just imagine standing before him, and that, that argument is not going to pass muster because he's holding us to a higher standard, and that is the standard of love. And what it means to follow Christ is, I now follow the law of love, which means it's no longer all about what am I allowed to do, it's about what builds up the other brother. It's not about what am I allowed to do, what can I get away with? What am I free to do? It's about, am I building up the other brother? And of course, this is so much bigger than just alcohol. I can't tell you how many souls I hear of, souls, believers and non-believers alike, who have been embittered and hardened in business in this area. And I'm not just blaming this area. This happens everywhere. It's not, sometimes I think we talk in such a way we think this is just a Steinbeck problem. One of the things I've found in the more international pastors that come here is that anything that's a Steinbeck problem isn't everywhere in the world problem because we're all human beings. There's not such a thing as people in Steinbeck sin this sin, but other people don't. They, we, we sin them all. But one of the things I, I hear of, because I'm just in this area, but it happens everywhere else in the world too. 
But one of the things that I see, when you want to talk about putting a stumbling block in front of people, both believers and non-believers alike, I'll tell you what it is. I hear it over and over again. I hear it almost more than anything. And that is people who call themselves Christians and don't pay their bills. People who call themselves Christians and they don't pay other people what they owe them. It's a little bit of a gasp. It gets quiet. You want to know the best way to make someone out there in the marketplace? You want to know the best way to make someone really angry and hard and bitter and upset? Don't pay them. Take a service from them and don't pay them back. Take something else from them and don't pay them the full amount. Just don't pay them and you will succeed in making them really, really upset. And then if you want to make that feeling of anger into a stumbling block, make sure they know you're a Christian when you do it. And now you have crafted a perfect stumbling block for them to trip over. Not just non-believers, but believers alike. Because I can't tell you how many believers who are maybe weak in their faith, a weaker brother, they didn't have as close a walk with God as maybe some of you do. But they had, they had some sort of a walk. And then another person who called himself a Christian came along and ripped them off on a business deal. And they got hard towards you and towards God. And you say, well, yeah, I have reasons. Like, this guy didn't pay me, so now I'm not going to pay him. And you might have all the reasons in the world. And they might be fine reasons. Or he didn't do this or he didn't do this. We follow a higher standard. The standard is not profit. God promises to take care of you if what? You put his kingdom first. That's what he says in Matthew chapter 6. I think it's Matthew 6. It's not Matthew 7. It is Matthew 6 in the Sermon on the Mount. Seek first his kingdom and all these things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom. Follow the law of love first. Then he promises to take care of you. But don't put a stumbling block in front of everyone. Don't flaunt your liberty and don't put a stumbling block in, in front of a weaker brother and destroy someone else. We're called to a whole other standard. We're called to love others. Paul goes on to say, For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. And I could just add in there, the kingdom of God is not a matter of just making as much money as I can. The kingdom of God is not a matter of having as much pleasure as I can. The kingdom of God is not about a matter of just me doing whatever I'm allowed to do. That's not what the kingdom of God is about. You didn't get saved to live for yourself. You didn't get saved to do whatever you want to do in business. You didn't get saved to do whatever you want to do in, in, when you're out, you know, having a good time. The kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. That means sometimes you're going to get taken advantage of out there and you're going to turn the other cheek because we follow a higher standard because we care about the kingdom of God. Whoever thus serves Christ, you want to be acceptable to God and approved by men? Look at this. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Can you imagine if all of us put that last sentence there up on the dashboard of our cars and on the mirror at home and everything we did in family and church and business and work, we did this. Let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Can you imagine how we would be a different church? Can you imagine how we would be a different community? We have a lot of people here in this church and a lot of influence. Can you imagine how this church would, how this community would be radically changed if we would pursue, that means put energy and effort into it, if we would pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbuilding? Wow, it'd be incredible. 
Verse 20, do not for the sake of food. And again, we could put in there, do not for the sake of pleasure, do not for the sake of money, do not for the sake of business, do not for the sake of any of those things destroy the work of God. Do we have a soberness? Do we have a soberness that when we leave these doors and go out there, we actually represent him? Do not for the sake of food. Do not for the sake of alcohol. Do not for the sake of business or money destroy the work of God in someone else's life. Everything is indeed clean. So now Paul shows his hand. He shows which side of the debate he's on. He says when it comes to eating, it's actually a liberty issue. Everything indeed is clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one, not talking there about your faith in Jesus, talking about in some of these liberty issues, in order to love a weaker brother or a younger person who's watching you, there may be times when we keep our liberty to ourselves so we don't drag someone else down. The faith that you have, he's not talking about your faith in Jesus, but that liberty issue, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself for what he approves. So here's what I want to finish with. I want to just finish with a moment where we just quietly reflect and say, Lord, would you speak to us? Romans 14 is a manifesto for how we love people. We've got to love the weaker brother. We've got to not put a stumbling block in front of people. We've got to love people who disagree with us. This is what it means. This is a manifesto of church life, of body life. And so I want to just give us all a moment. If you have a pen and paper, you take that out. If you just have your phone, you want to write it down, whatever you want to do. But I want us just to have a moment, a minute or two. And I want us to think, to think through the following two questions and just write down anything the Holy Spirit brings to mind. First of all, is there any area of my life where I've been putting my personal liberty and pursuit of pleasure above the law of love for others and building them up? So we can just ask God that. Is there, is there any area of my life where I've been putting my personal liberty and pursuit of pleasure above the law of love for others and building them up? And a second one, if you finish with that one right away, have I done anything in church or business, family or personal that could cause someone else to be bitter with me and hard or angry towards God? Perhaps you haven't technically done something wrong, but have I followed the higher law? We're not asking here just, have I done something explicitly wrong? If you have done that, you need to confess it. But we're called to a higher standard than just don't, you know, don't do what's technically wrong. We're called to love people. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for this church. And uh, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would help us to put this message into practice. Help us to grab it at its core and its roots and its heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Southland Church. For more information or to download this and many other messages, please visit us at myselfland.com.